historic wins. People want to change. There are a lot of people here who've never been involved in a political campaign in their life. Painful losses. I'm going to be looking for other work, obviously. And it is what it is. We unpack your choices at the ballot box this week and ask what happens now. Plus, dropping the mask mandate in Kansas City, are you giddy or alarmed? And tracking the next battle over vaccines from our universities to our schools to our police. We're willing to lay down our lives to protect somebody. We're really not that worried about a bug. And remembering a Kansas congressman. This is not being recorded now, is it? The pulse still break. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of AARP Kansas City, Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Gorley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome, I'm Nick Haynes, your host and guide through the week's most impactful, confusing and befuddling local news stories. On that journey with us this half hour is KNBC9 chief political reporter Michael Mahoney, Lynn Horsley from KCUR News, from KCMO Talk Radio, Pete Mundo, and always on call from the Kansas City Call, Eric Wesson. Did you know there was an election this week? Voters in Missouri from Raytown to Parkville were voting on a variety of local tax issues. In Independence, voters approved giving more money to the police. But most of the action was taking place on the Kansas side. Did you see this coming? Tyrone Garner ousting David Alvey. He is now the first black mayor in Kansas City, Kansas history. People wanted change. They wanted somebody that is qualified, somebody that had a connection with the community, somebody that they could trust and believe in, and that's somebody that was going to fight for them and put them first. I'm disappointed. I'm going to be looking for other work, obviously. All righty, Lynn Horsley, what did uh, David Alvey do so wrong, and what did uh, Tyrone Garner do so right? Well, I think it's a tough time for incumbents. Uh, David Alvey did uh, note that he was the mayor during COVID, and so... Uh, on election night after he had lost, he said he thinks the voters are in a foul mood. They're angry for a variety of reasons. And part of that may be just the negative national politics. But uh, David Alvey ran on a platform that things were going pretty well in the county and that he had brought a lot of economic development and projects. And Tyrone Garner, I think, tapped into the sense that taxes and utility bills are still too high. There's still a lot of disinvested areas, neglected neighborhoods, small businesses were struggling. He just tapped into the discontentment and he brought a very energetic and animated campaign and said that he would be a more proactive leader. You said that uh, people were angry this time in, during this year, but are they angry all of the time in Wyandot County? I was amazed back in 2017, Michael Mahoney. You know, Mark Holland loses. David Alvey, he's just a Rockhurst High School administrator. He wins that race. I thought it was a huge surprise. Is, what does this election tell us? Two cycles now of major disruption in Wyandotte County. Is it just too difficult to uh, govern Wyandotte County? I don't think it's too difficult, but it is hard. And I think Lynn's right that there is uh, some voter discontent there. And I'm being mild when I say that. People are ticked off in uh, Wyandotte County. They, don't, they, they think their taxes are too high. They're lower than what they used to be. And there was a sense I got from the campaign that this was going to be a fist fight and it was going to be close and that Alvey was, uh, was in trouble uh, from the get-go. 
Should we quit saying, uh, Eric Wesson, by the way, that this is the first black mayor of Kansas City, Kansas, we heard the first Asian-American, first woman mayor of Boston, for instance. Uh, have we come to a point that we don't need to say those things anymore, or is this really truly transformational in Wyandotte County this week? Well, given the, the historic value of it, I think it's, it's still proper to say that uh, they elected their first black mayor, uh, but then they've got a black uh, district attorney over there. They've got a black chief of police over there. The school board superintendent is black female as well. So I think we can still say that. But one of the things that I heard in talking to people over in Kansas City, Kansas, with uh, Alvy is one, the lack of economic development and give it, you know, giving the benefit of the doubt with COVID. But there were still some things that he still could have done that weren't done and people were kind of disgruntled about that. Uh, the lack of viable grocery stores over in Kansas City, Kansas, especially in certain areas is still, a, they, they consider the family dollar store a grocery store and that's not what that is. So they were still kind of disgruntled about him not bringing viable grocery stores to that area. Michael. Yeah, I think it's proper to take note of the fact that it's the first black mayor in KCK. And the thing to remember about this is what makes KCK distinctive in this regard. This is a city that, uh, at least demographically, in terms of race, is uh, is divided by thirds. It's one-third white, it's one-third African-American, and it's one-third Latino. So uh, it is important uh, to know that. And uh, uh, Eric's right on this. A lot of dissatisfaction, especially inside a 635 in the northeast corner of uh, KCK, where they have lots of problems, lots of poor housing, lots of vacant lots, a lot of uh, lots of uh, trashy houses that haven't been kept up, and there, there's. There's been a feeling there that uh, the inside of KCK, inside of 635, has been neglected uh, at the expense of uh, the legend. Which is exactly what David Alvey said four years ago when he was running against yeah. Mark Holland. It seems a repeat of that loop. But Tyrone Garner was the one of the top people within the police department. His only credential in elected office was with the Kansas City, Kansas uh, the Community College as on the board of trustees there, Lynn. Is it going to be a huge task for him to get up to speed now and lead that county? He knows the county well, and even coming from the police department, I think he knows it well. But yes, I mean, this is going to be a learning curve for him as far as, you know, running the government. And on election night, he said he's going to need the commissioner's help, the staff's help. He promised, he made some pretty ambitious promises, so he's got a lot of work to do. Uh, by the way, yeah. I always get sad for the candidates who lose, by the way, Michael. And so I, was, I just saw the clip there about David Alvey saying he has to find a job right now. Uh, what is his future? What kind of job will he have? Well, he can go back to Rockhurst and uh, continue to be an administrator. I believe he was a, count, uh, a counselor at uh, uh, Rockhurst. I'm sure they would they would welcome him back. I'm always reminded of the best uh, consolation speech I ever heard uh, from a candidate, Davy Crockett, when he was uh, said to have lost his seat in Congress. And uh, next day, he went to all the supporters and went, Davy, you're a legend here. What happened? He said, I don't know what happened here. But I'm going to Texas, and the rest of you can go to hell. Now, that's a concession speech. <laughs> and this, uh, I've, I've done this show for about 20 years, and uh, this is the first Davy Crockett reference we've ever had. E Eric Wesson? <laughs> you know, Gardner's campaign promises are very ambitious, but he ran a good ground game. 
Let's give him credit for that. This was no landslide, by the way, for Garner. He wins by about 300 votes in the unofficial results. The same is true in Johnson County, where city councilman Kurt Skoog was elected. The new mayor of Overland Park, just 500 votes and change, separated him from his opponent, Mike Zinnegi. And what we prove today is that Overland Park can be independent, can be our own city. We don't have to follow the guidelines of Washington, D.C., or the guidelines of Topeka. We are Overland Park. We are the economic engine. All righty, Pete Mundo, what did we learn from that election this week? I think what we learned, uh, Mike, uh, Nick, is that the fact is Mike Zinnegi is, is someone who had no interest in politics until about six months ago. He was kind of dragged into this race by the Johnson County Republican Party. He did run as a conservative Republican, but it was the issues that he ran on that I believe connected. He was not running on national political issues. He was running on overdevelopment, on poorly developed neighborhoods, and issues that people in Overland Park cared about. And I hope that why, didn't, why didn't he win then if he was resonating with uh, voters with that, those questions and those issues? I didn't win because I think there was a, a sense that uh, the conservative Republican brand that he attached himself to was a turnoff to probably too many moderates in Overland Park. But you're talking about about 500 votes out of 40,000 that this race came down to. The fact that that was such a close race, at least to me, reveals that there are some uh, very different uh, views about how Overland Park should go forward. The other thing was late in that campaign, there were some Republicans that were close to the Zinnegi campaign that thought he may Made a misstep when he started talking about his concerns about vaccines and whether or not they were safe and in a city with a pretty high rate of vaccination and uh, a voter base in a municipal election that's going to skew a little older uh, they think that was a strategic mistake lynn kurt skoog recognized that this was a very close race and he said that he wants to be the mayor for everybody including many the people that didn't vote for him I do think it's also a signal that there's growing skepticism in Overland Park about incentives, development incentives. That's been a very hot topic. And also the proliferation of luxury apartments. Overland Park has a little bit of an identity crisis. Do they want to be a suburban bedroom community or do they want to be an urban center? And they're trying to kind of thread that needle. What would we see as the biggest difference now that he replaces Carl Gerlach as mayor? The fact that Carl Gerlach and Ed Eilert before him both endorsed Kurt Skoog, does that mean we won't see much of a change? Well, I no, I do think that um, Kurt Skoog is going to, again, face more skepticism about incentives. Uh, obviously, Carl Gerlach and, and I think even Ed Eilert before that, they, they relied heavily on incentives to kind of get developments going. I think they're going to be, as Lynn said, a little more cautious, a little more skeptical about uh, uh, tax abatements and, uh, and some incentives. What have often been considered low-key bottom-of-the-ballot races for school board were getting some surprising amounts of attention. Division over mask mandates and the teaching of race in schools fueled interest from out-of-state political groups in this campaign. What happened? Well, according to the Kansas Reflector news site, seven of the ten candidates in our area who'd campaigned against masks and critical race theory were rewarded with seats on the school board. And there could be an eighth. That race in Olathe is still too close to call. So what did we learn from those elections this week, Pete? Well, we learned that, um, you know, parents who have felt like their voices have not been heard over the past 18 months 
are being heard. Um, and, and there's this notion that, you know, it's this groundswell of conservative candidates that have come to the school boards. I would call them more traditional candidates. They're, they're folks that want their kids in schools that um, don't necessarily think that five and six year olds and seven year olds in the classroom need to be masked. And the, the um, attention and the passion was on the side of frustrated parents over the past 18 months. Michael. I'm not dismissing Pete's point about frustrated parents, but there there were people campaigning in Kansas on the critic uh, for the school board on the critical race theory, which is not taught in Kansas. That was a talking point uh, at, at the national level, and that's new uh, in uh, school board politics, that this nationwide pact getting involved. And in fact, Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State, uh, even endorsed a, uh, a uh, candidate for the school board in Andover, Kansas. I mean, it, it got that national. But these school board elections are staggered elections, Lynn. So even if you get two or three seats won in that regard, it doesn't overwhelm the board. They don't get the majority of the board. But doesn't this put a pressure on administrators and staff now who are going to be on notice to perhaps be far more cautious in how they deal with issues even like race in the future? I do think so. I think there's going to be a lot of deliberation among administrators and teachers and a recognition that parents do have a voice. They are flexing their muscles. And so uh, there will have to be a responsiveness to that. And there does need to be a history of our country that recognizes race as a big factor. I don't think you can wash that away from the from the teachings. But, but, but let, me, let me ask then Eric Wesson. I mean, Lynn says that, but over the decades in the United States, in schools, in public schools, we've said that sex education is off limits. Religion, in many respects, is off limits. Is race now going to be an off limits conversation for schools? It seems like it is, but it shouldn't be. And I think that you know, we, we want to stay from that, or stay away from those conversations about race because we don't want to create any tension, but it's a part of history. So why not talk about it? We talk about other parts of history. Uh, Columbus discovered an occupied land. People were here when he got here, but we learned that in elementary school that Columbus discovered it. So if we learned that, we should learn about everything that relates to how, how do you see this playing out, Pete? I mean, are we going to get to a point of saying, let's not talk about slavery, let's not talk about Jim Crow in the future? Well, I interviewed a lot of these candidates on my show, and I never heard one of them say, don't teach slavery, uh, don't teach about the racial issues this country has. That is not anything that any of these candidates ever said on the show. What, what it was about was whether you want to call it critical race theory or diversity, equity, inclusion, which many school districts, Shawnee Mission being one, spends hundreds of thousands of dollars on every year. Uh, it was the notion that, for example, are we going to have a Thanksgiving-themed uh, you know, celebration at the Shawnee Mission School District? They say it's about supply chains, and internal memos showed that it's because of diversity, equity, and inclusion they need to reevaluate. Is that how far this is going to go? It's not about not teaching the good, the bad, and the ugly of American history. It's how far do you take it culturally in the classroom while still, yes, teaching the ugly side of American history. I, don't, I have not heard from anybody who is against that. On Election Day, we also learned of the death of Kansas Congressman Dennis Moore before there was a Sharice Davids or Kevin Yoder. Dennis Moore represented the Kansas 3rd Congressional District for 12 years in Washington. Since leaving office, he battled Alzheimer's and cancer. He was 75 years old. What is Moore's legacy, Michael? A legacy of public service. He was a blue dog Democrat on the uh, conservative side of the Democratic Party. They always wanted to know, Democrats in this caucus, 
where are you going to pay for these social programs? Do you have a plan to pay for this? In addition to that, he served with dis distinction as the Johnson County District Attorney for a long time. You know, he's also remembered for his unusual approach to campaigning. That included appearing folksy and strumming a guitar. Here's one of his campaign ads. Music lessons with Dennis Moore. Country. My patient's bill of rights will make you kick up your heels. Rock. We need to make Social Security solid as a rock. And finally, picking. I hope you'll be picking Dennis Moore for Congress. Thank you. Have our politicians lost that sense of playfulness and fun today? I think about Eric Greitens blowing things up in his ads when he ran for governor. It's not quite the same, is it, Lynn? He, he was so good-natured, and I think it's always helps, helpful to be able to play an instrument. He was a really good guitarist, and we all remember Bill Clinton uh, playing the saxophone on late-night TV. I mean, I think, unfortunately, bringing a good-natured, friendly attitude and kind of a bipartisan perspective does seem in short supply right now. We don't see that sort of playfulness um, or people playing guitars in their ads today, Pete. No, and I'm not an overpaid political advisor, but if I were, I would not suggest doing that in 2020. I mean, with what we just talked about, there is um, anger. I mean, that is winning out the day right now, the last couple of election cycles. I don't see that changing in 2022 on either side of the aisle. Yeah, playing the guitar is not going to win you any uh, campaigns in 2022. I promise you that. Yeah, you got to remember that that uh, campaign and that ad, which basically, which Dennis Moore waffled about doing, I uh, put it literally the last moment on that. That was over 20 years ago, okay? That's a long time, and things do change, as, as Pete notes. In other news this week, when you head to the coffee shop, restaurant, or grocery store in Kansas City, you'll no longer have to wear a mask. The city council voting to end the mask mandate, at least for adults, kids, and staff in school districts will still have to wear them. They're also required on school buses. Not everyone's happy that grown-ups no longer have to wear them, but kids do. Why the distinction at all, Michael Mahoney? The Lucas administration and the health department say that their overriding goal in this is they want to make sure that schools stay open uh, for the entire school year, that they, they don't have to shut down, they don't have to lose kids to quarantine. Eric, Good luck yeah. enforcing that. Good luck enforcing that. Talking about distinctions, though, Eric, why is Jackson County voting this week to extend its mask mandate right until almost late no November, and Kansas City is removing it for adults? I mean, is the science so different a few miles away in the rest of Jackson County? Jackson County has its own health department, which has its own method of how they are, are gauging how the progress is versus Kansas City, who has its own health department. Lynn. They're pressured by the businesses. Many businesses want this mask mandate done. In Jackson County, Ron Finley noted that people are still dying. The hospitals are still crowded. We've come a long way from 14 days to slow the spread to now no one can die of COVID. I mean, that's kind of a, I don't know, I just find it dystopian to walk into Crown Center and see adults happily walking around with five-year-olds in masks. And I, I think that, you know, as Michael pointed out, the enforcement of this is going to be uh, comical because there's not going to be any. And I think it sets a... You know, a dangerous precedent. I say this as a vaccinated person, um, but I, I just think it sets a dangerous precedent to find yourself in a situation where you're going to sit there and say the kids got to wear them until until when do we need to get to a vaccination rate of children? Is that what we're waiting for? Mayor Lucas said on my show he wants to give four weeks for parents who want to get their kids vaccinated to get the vaccine, and then he hopes it's gone for good. Considering the way this thing has uh, 
ebbed and flowed, to put it politely, over the last 12 to 18 months in the city. I'll be surprised if, if that actually happens. Michael. Speaking of rates, Kansas City's rate is actually worse than the, the vaccination rate for the state of Missouri. Kansas City's at 48 percent. State of Missouri is at 49 uh, percent. As Lynn said, not out of the woods, not even close. In other news, the clash over vaccine mandates hits Kansas this week. The state's biggest universities are now requiring all workers and faculty to be vaccinated or be fired. Administrators at KU, K-State and Wichita State say they're under pressure from a new Biden administration policy that blocks schools from receiving federal research money if employees have not received the COVID shot. What's going to be interesting to watch is how Kansas lawmakers respond. Is there any evidence they're going to punch back and start cutting or eliminating funding from these universities if they put these vaccines requirements in place, Pete? Uh, no, I, I don't think. I think it's kind of a wait-and-see approach is kind of the my understanding and talking to Attorney General and gubernatorial candidate Derek Schmidt. Hey, Pete, a question for you here. How likely do you think it is that there are legislators in Topeka next uh, January and through the session that start rattling sabers over this and threatening the Board of uh, Regents with budget cuts because they think that things are stepping out of line in the university system? Oh, they'll be there. I mean, because they'll be obviously yeah. getting some uh, some media attention out of that as well. So you, you you and I both know that they'll they'll be there, Michael. But whether it's just a lot of loud noises or it actually comes to uh, some some form of legislation, I think remains to be seen. Is the next battleground though about to take place in our schools now that the CDC has signed off on kid-sized COVID shots for children ages five to eleven? Kansas City area parents can start bringing in their kids for the jab starting this weekend at Children's Mercy Hospital and many area pharmacies. But just because the vaccine is available doesn't mean parents will take their child to get it. A poll conducted by the Kaiser Family Foundation finds only 34% of parents would vaccinate their kids right away? And will there be a requirement that kids get the shot to attend school? Is there any school in our metro that's taken that position, Lynn? Not that I'm aware of. No, I, I don't know any either, but I mean, uh, the uh, let's remember that uh, lots of kids are required to get a number of vaccinations before they start school. Um, so the, the precedent is out there. Is that the big battle for next year then, Pete? I hope not, because to my colleague's point, I don't know anyone that uh, has or has the appetite to mandate it for children. You know, if you're looking at two-thirds of parents who are saying we're not doing this thing right away, at least, um, good luck with that. I'm sure you've seen news stories now in Chicago and New York City of police officers and firefighters calling in sick en masse to protest requirements they be vaccinated. If they're really unhappy, Johnson County Sheriff Calvin Hayden has a place for them. He's declared his office a safe haven for officers around the country who are being pushed out because they won't get vaccinated or feel they're not being appreciated by their communities. We're willing to lay down our lives to protect somebody. Really not that worried about a bug. Do we have any evidence, Pete, that um, we are seeing moving trucks coming in from New York and Chicago filled with firefighters and police officers wanting to come to Johnson County? Not that I'm aware of uh, either on that, Nick, but it doesn't mean that Hayden may not have a gig for him somewhere along the line. I, I think it's important to note, too, here in this, it gets pushed as uh, Calvin Hayden being an, an anti-vax sheriff. You can be pro-vax, anti-mandate. I think that's uh, something that needs to be noted when this conversation does take place. Nick, I guess I would have to say that if I called the sheriff's office, I would either want the people responding to be vaccinated or wearing a mask. The whole thing with Sheriff Hayden, to me anyway, sounds like window dressing. Um, I don't think he's going to have any major difficulties, uh, any major changes in, in his staff. 
when you put a program like this together every week, you can't get to every story grabbing the headlines. What was the big local story we missed? Finally, a win. The Chiefs stopped the sky from falling and introducing Kansas City's newest sports team. Are you ready for the current? This is going to be one of the hottest items you can have in Kansas City. A rebranding for our new women's professional soccer team. The current is a nod to the Missouri River. The team announced construction on a new stadium at the riverfront last week. He never seems to be out of the news. Now new calls for Aaron Coleman to resign. The Democratic state lawmaker from Wyandotte County arrested this week on a domestic violence charge. As world leaders meet for the UN Climate Summit, local governments trying to signal how much they're changing. Kansas City announcing plans to build the largest solar farm in the country on a site next to the airport. It has the potential to power most or all of the homes and businesses in all of Kansas City. And this may not be necessary, but just a reminder, you get an extra hour in bed Sunday morning. Do what you will to your clocks, but they should be set back an hour as daylight saving time ends. All righty, Eric Wesson, did you pick one of those stories or something completely different? I chose the negotiations are underway or beginning for the police budget. An additional $70 million the police department is requesting, but revenue is down for the city or is flatlined, so why do you ask for more money? when the city's not making that much more money. Lynn. Uh, two quick things. The city council will vote on a resolution recognizing a climate emergency. Also, the uh, redistricting commission is, is redrawing or recommending new boundaries for council districts. I think people are going to be very dis uh, surprised at how much the districts will have to change because of population growth. And Pete. Well, I think uh, this is something that applies nationally and locally, but it's the um, overall the failure of, of Democrats to run against Donald Trump in this 2021 off-year election. And I don't see that getting any better in 2022, given the guy is not the president and not on the ballot. So, uh, you know, Kurt Skoog used it a little bit in Overland Park. It obviously was a big part of the Virginia governor's race. Sharice Davids has had a lot of success in her two elections, I believe, because of Donald Trump. She's going to need a new strategy in 2022. Michael. Uh, Trump will be on the ballot, certainly, in the uh, Missouri Senate primary, as uh, a lot of the candidates try to get see who was uh, closest to, to Trump and try to woo voters like that. Uh, I want to expand on what Lynn talked about. It's not just redistricting the Kansas City, Missouri City Council. It's redistricting the boundaries in Kansas and Missouri for all the state legislators, as well as the members of Congress. And uh, this will be coming to a head in the next few weeks in both of these states, and it's something to keep your eye on. And that is our Week in Review. Our thanks to Channel 9's Michael Mahoney, KCUR's Lynn Horsley, The Call's Eric Wesson, and 6 to 10 weekdays on KCMO Talk Radio, Pete Mundo. And I'm Nick Haynes from all of us here at Kansas City PBS. Be well, keep calm, and carry on.